Hey everyone, my name's Kate Dingwall and I'm on staff here at church. I look after our kids' ministries uh, and it's my pleasure to read the Bible for us tonight. So as James said, we're in 1 John chapter 3 and we're starting at verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are uh, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not ma- not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we uh, we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Thanks, Kate. Please keep your Bibles open there. That would be really helpful. And thanks again for your welcome. It's great to be with you tonight. But I want to begin by just asking the question, what's it mean, or what would it mean to be a Lynn? To become part of my family? Well, it probably means your nose is a bit flat, but there's nothing much you can do about, about that. What else would it mean to be a Lynn? Well, it would mean that you'd have to be a little bit silly. Like, if you know all my children, we're we're all a little bit silly. That's what it would mean. Uh, To be a Lynn means that you always, without fail, shower before bed. Okay? But there is a non-negotiable. There is a non-negotiable about being a Lynn. And it is this. Chips. (laughs) Chips. That's right. Hot chips. Crispy chips, cold chips, battered chips, whatever it is, it's chips. We have a family tradition, and that is when we are on holidays, you eat chips every day. Everyone must participate. If you don't participate, you are not a Lynn. And look, people have come with us on holidays before to, you know, be part of our family and tried to replace our chips with carrot sticks or celery sticks, and look, you might get away with it once, maybe twice, and be forgiven, but any more than that, you are not a Lynn, because Lynns cannot get rid of chips. That's how you know, (laughs) that's how you know that you're a Lynn. How do you know who you are? How do you know who you are and how do others know who you are? They sound like dumb questions, don't they? But identity is a big thing 
these days. In fact, identity has always been a big thing. Like, how do I know who I am? Is it athletics that I think it was Emily was saying before? Like, where do you find it? Where do you find your identity? And how do you know that's who you are? Now, this passage addresses this question. I know at this church you've been working through uh, this letter of 1 John, and you're up to chapter 3, which is why we're talking about it tonight. And the first question I want to ask is, who are you? As a Christian, who are you? What is your identity, and how do you know? So if you come with me to the first verse that was read... 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, or sentence 1, if you're not used to verses, sentence 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So that is who we are as Christians, children of God. Now, just in the previous verse of chapter 2, before this, it talks about, verse 29 of chapter 2, if you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It's kind of strange language to say you're born of God. It doesn't mean that you come out of some, uh, uh, you know, supernatural womb or anything like that. Those, the person that gives you birth gives you life. To be born of God is to say that God gives you life. But the life God gives you that it's talking about here is eternal life. And you can read that in verse 25 of chapter 2. So God gives eternal life through faith in Jesus. And that's why Christians are born of him. And if you're born of God, well then... You are one of his children. And we are children of God, verse 1 then, not simply because we are born of him, but we are children of God because of God's great love. You see that in verse 1? See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Now, the first word of chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1, The first word is the word see. See what great love. Now, I just want to suggest that this word's kind of a a little bit weak, what the word is in the original language. You know what the word is in the original language? That the first word of verse 1? The first, there's a very technical word. It is this. This is my translation. It's not see. It is this, woe man. It is woe man. It is like, no way, dude. That's the first word in the original. It's saying, whoa, what great love the Father has lavished on us. And, you know, that word for great in the original language is literally the word for of what country? Of what, like, this is woe, man. Of what country is this love of God? It's saying how foreign, how strange, how unlike us is God's love for us. 
The love that God has shown us is not within the realms of normal love as we would understand it. Why? Why is this love so foreign? Well, it's because God loved us when we were his enemies. God loved us when we were sinners. God loved us when we did not love him. No one does that. Not in the normal human course of relationship. You love the people that love you. You love the people that are nice to you. You love your friends. Not your enemies, the people that are nasty to you, the people who uh, are against you. But in another part of the Bible, it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were his enemies, God still sent his son to die. He still sent his son to pay for our sins so that we could be called his children. Who would do that? That is not normal. That is foreign. That's why the first word of this verse is, whoa, that's unbelievable. That we could be called children of God. But that, if you look in verse 1, that is what we are. That is our identity our identity comes from him who loved us. And you know what it means if your identity is that you're a child of God? That means you can call him dad. That's right. You can call him dad. You have a key to the house. You have a room inside. You can help yourself to the fridge just clean your room, will you? <laughs> Just clean your room and please, you know, chuck the empty toilet roll out. But you have a room in the house. We are God's children. Just take a moment to let that sink in. Whoa. God knows us in that way. And we are known to him. But this verse goes on to say the world does not know that we are God's children. Look at that, verse 1. The reason the world does not know us as God's children is that it did not know him. The world doesn't recognise this identity in us because they don't know God. It's kind of like you couldn't guess who my kids are. There's no way you could guess who my kids are if you don't know who I am. Okay? But this is written not for those who don't know us. This is written for us. It is written to assure Christians, you are now children of God. Is that not awesome? If someone asks you who you are, what your identity is, you can confidently say, I'm a child of God. And it still blows me away to say those words. 
Now, being a child of God brings with it some wonderful things, even better than chips. Look with me at verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One of the wonderful things about being children of God is that we will see Jesus and we will see God. And of course you would as as children of God that we would see Jesus, that we would see God because that's what families do. Families see each other. And what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? What's that going to be like? Well, it says, verse 2, what we will be has not yet been made known. So firstly, we don't know what exactly it will be like when we see God. When we see Jesus, we don't know exactly what we will be like when we finally get to see Jesus and God face to face. The Bible gives us a vague idea. It says that um, we will have bodies like Jesus. Uh, bodies, therefore, that last forever. What will it be like to have a body that will last forever? Well, you don't know. I don't know. We've only got the ones that we've got. Currently, my one is wearing out very, very quickly. I can't imagine what a body is like that will last forever. What we will be, well, has not been made known yet. Not exactly. We also know that when we see them face to face, you know, the Bible says we'll be sinless. Sinless. Can you grasp what it is like to not be sinful? Well, you can't. Not now. Not now. There will come a time. But can you imagine what it would be like to never have a bad thought? To never have a wrongful, lustful desire? To never speak a careless word or to have a dishonest moment. Can you imagine never wrestling with sin? Well, you can't. We do not know exactly what we will be like when we see Jesus. All that we can know is that we will be like Jesus. That's pretty good, I reckon. And that'll do me. Whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like, that'll do me. Now, we don't know exactly what we'll be like, like as that verse says, but I tell you, we have a pretty good idea of the direction that we need to head. Look with me at verse 3. All who have this hope, that is, this hope of seeing Jesus... When, when he appears, all who have this hope in him, in Jesus, purify themselves just as he is pure. So all who have this certain hope, because Jesus will return, all who have this certain hope will purify themselves. What is that? That is, they seek to live lives of purity because Jesus is pure 
and we will be like him. But that starts now. Now, to be sure, it is not saying that a state of purity before God is achieved by us, that we do by ourselves. It's not saying that. That is only done by Jesus. And you would have looked at that when you looked at uh, the beginning part of uh, chapter 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He cleanses us from our sins, chapter 1. Jesus is the one that makes us pure before God. But because Jesus is pure and that God is pure and we are born of God, then we will seek to purify our behaviour. Purify ourselves in saying, my actions, my thoughts, my deeds, my behaviour, I'm seeking to be like Jesus. And you're responsible for your behaviour. Whether it's pure or not, you're responsible. That's what it's saying here. The Christian person, will, the child of God, will seek to be pure in their behaviour. Now, why do those who are God's children seek to be pure? As God is pure, verse 4, sentence 4. It's because everyone who breaks the law, oh, sorry, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, first you understand law here is talking about God's law. It's not the general laws of the land. It's talking specifically about God's law. It's talking about breaking God's laws. So lawlessness here is in regard to God's laws. So if a person does not deliberately seek to live under God's law, they are lawless as far as God's law is concerned. And that's the opposite to being pure. Sin is breaking God's laws. But, you know, it's actually a bit more than that. It's not simply breaking God's laws. It is, verse, as verse 4 says, sin is lawlessness. Now, what's he saying and what's the difference? Think of it a little bit like this. The difference between a disease and the symptoms. Okay? If I have red blotches over my skin, it probably means I don't have the disease of red blotches over my skin. They are a symptom of something of a disease that underlies what brings out the red splotches on my skin. So I might get, get tested and it's measles. So the disease is measles. The symptoms are the red measly splotches on my skin. Now, it is not the red splotches that give me measles, is it? The measles, the underlying disease that gives me the symptom of red splotches. Lawlessness or sin, if I can say sin with a capital S, sin or lawlessness is the underlying disease. When a person breaks God's law or sins, they are the, that's the symptom 
that the underlying disease of lawlessness, or capital S, sin. Now at the time, there was this false and misleading belief that sins breaking God's laws did not matter, or at least did not affect your status before God as pure and righteous. The Bible here is saying, uh-uh, no. No. Sins come from lawlessness, the disease. And lawlessness is, is the disease is not simply what you do. Lawlessness is the posture that you have towards God. It's the posture that you have towards his Lord. You do not govern me. You do not determine what I will and what I won't do. I do. It's a posture and position of defiance before God. And that means you are not right with God. Because your behaviour does matter. Lawlessness, it says, is the essence of sin. It's what brings the symptoms of, on, the sins, the breaking of the laws, not the other way around. So sin and lawlessness is not the way of the children of God. Because as verse 5 says, Jesus has come to take that away. But you, verse 5, know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. You know, when Jesus came, it wasn't just to take the debt of sin that we owe away from us. Jesus came to take lawlessness away as well. That is to take the posture of defiance towards God away. Uh, to take sin against God away. And to replace it with a posture of obedience and purity towards God. Why would Jesus do that? Because in him there is no sin. So why would we? Now that all sounds really good and wonderful, but I'm wondering if you're sitting there thinking the things that I'm thinking. And that is this. My experience as a... I know, yet yeah, we're supposed to be pure and all this kind of stuff. But if you're like me, I still sin. Oh, man. <laughs> I still sin. And, you know, earlier, and if you've been here for the series, you would have seen, particularly in chapter 1, that actually a Christian person cannot deny that they sin. If you say that you don't sin as a Christian, then you're calling God a lie because God says, yeah, actually, you still sin. Chapter 1. How can Jesus have taken our sins? How can we be children of God yet still sin? And how do we resolve that? Look at me at verse 6. Verse 6 says, No one who lives in him, in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, this does not mean 
That to be a child of God, you are sinless or you can be sinless um, at this point in time before Jesus returns. What this is talking about is the total mismatch, the total incongruity of sin in the life of a child of God. Yes, we must admit everyone sins, and Jesus has come away to has come to take away sins. That is why we seek to be pure. But note in verse six it says, keeps on sinning. It says, continues to sin. That is, as children of God, whilst we still fail. Whilst we still break God's law, we are not seeking to be lawless. Okay? That is our desire. Our posture towards God is towards holiness and towards purity. And so when we sin, we try to stop. We don't keep on sinning. We don't continue to sin. We try to stop. Now, when we fail, and God says we will, well, as chapter 1 says, we confess our sins. That's the right thing to do. We admit our sins. We acknowledge our sins before God. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, paying for our sins, then we are forgiven. This is saying, not only do you confess your sins, you repent. You repent. You seek to stop sinning and to replace that with seeking to be pure and holy. That's repentance. Seeking not to continue in sin. That's you. Well, then, that's the characteristic of a child of God. So he's saying to them here, if you're a child of God, then don't sin. Don't sin. It goes against who you are. It belies your identity as a child of God. And then he goes on to say, don't let anyone tell you any different. Don't let anyone tell you that your behavior doesn't matter as a Christian. It does. Look with me at verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he, Jesus, is righteous. Now, when he says children here in verse 7, that's not a term of endearment from an old man or something like that. He's saying, dear children of God, uses the exact same word for children as in verse 1, dear children of God. He says, if you are righteous because, before God because of what Jesus has done, then do what is right. That's what children of God made righteous by Jesus do. They do what is right. They do not. Sin, don't let anyone tell you any different.
And if you don't do what is right, as a child of God, verse 8, this may be who you are instead. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Wow. It's pretty strong and pretty straight, isn't it? What this verse is saying is that, you know, you either follow Jesus or you follow the devil, the original lawless one. There's no in-betweens, there's no other options. You either follow Jesus or you are following the devil. Jesus followed God's law perfectly. The devil did not and does not. And if you are not following God's law, you are just doing what the devil does. And you are doing what the devil does, whether you think it or not. Jesus has come to destroy the work of the devil. The works, the original, the works of the devil. And that is lawlessness. And that's why the children of God are not to sin. Because Jesus has come to destroy that work. Don't let anyone fool you or lead you astray, he says. Your behaviour as children of God matters. And so, in verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. They are strong words. But that is the word of God. They are clear words. If you are born of God, a child of God, you will not keep sinning because you are born of God. That's how you know that you are a child of God. You do not keep sinning. When you are born of God, understand, you receive his nature. I think that's what seed there is referring to. You receive God's spiritual DNA, which is anti-sin. It's not pro-sin. It is anti-sin. And when you have God's working in you by his spirit, 
that means you will fight against sin. So you actually can't keep doing it if you are God's child. Now, that does not mean that you don't struggle with sin. In fact, that means that you will struggle with sin. Because the fact that you are struggling with sin means that you don't want to do it. When you're not struggling with sin, it just means you're happy to do it. Keep struggling with sin, children of God. Keep struggling with sin, striving not to continue. But, you know, as we struggle with sin, you know there will come a time when we won't. (laughs) Can't wait. And that will be when Jesus returns and we will be like him. But that likeness that is like Jesus, that likeness in its baby form, starts right now. When you are a child of God. Anyone, verse 10, who does not do, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. So start doing what's right. See, what you do shows who you are. Behaviour demonstrates identity. If you are a child of God, let your identity be identifiable. Don't sin. Don't keep on sinning. You cannot keep on sinning. What are your sins? Are you fighting them? One of the ways as I finish up to keep fighting sin and lawlessness is to keep remembering who you are. Okay? Keep remembering who you are. You are a child of God. Whoa. But it's not just remembering who we are. It's remembering what it took to give us that unspeakable privilege of being a child of God. What it took was the love of God. The love of God that gave his son to die on the cross for us, for you and I, us lawless ones, so that we could be his sons and daughters. The love of God that still wanted us to be his children when we were going the other way. The love of God that gave his own son to take away our sins. What love. 
what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Child of God. Stop sinning. Let me pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, words really are not able to express how incredible your love is for us in sending your Son to die so that we might be called your children. But we are so deeply thankful. And Father, we ask that as your children, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to not keep on sinning, but to seek to be pure in our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.